Welcome to this episode of the Street Sessions, the business podcast brought to you by Streets Chartered Accountants. I'm James Pinchbeck, the firm's marketing partner, and I'll be hosting this session in which I'm joined by Stuart Burlton. Stuart is an award-winning entrepreneur, welfare ambassador, small business mentor, industry leader, school governor, IOD Director of the Year, and Managing Director of Make and Entrance, the UK's largest manufacturer and retailer of Koi matting and direct sales logo matting. The business has been recognised as a FSB, Federation of Small Business Family Business of the Year, and Business Champions Family Business of the Year. Stuart is also a member of the Federation of Small Businesses National Scrutiny Board. Um, in this session, we'll be finding more about Make and Entrance, its success and its challenges, um, and also how it's become a market leader and Stuart's role and work with the Federation of Small Businesses. Welcome, Stuart. Uh, thank you for joining us for this session. Perhaps I can start by uh, asking you to tell us a little bit more about Make an Entrance. And, and thank you for the tour before we started recording this session. I think it, it certainly brought matting to life for me. Um, tell us a little bit, though, about how the business started and what you do, if you may. For sure. Um, firstly, welcome to Make an Entrance. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed looking around. Uh, Make an Entrance. Uh, today, we are a manufacturer of entrance mats. So we manufacture uh, pr primarily coir entrance mats, both PVC backed, a very traditional style of coir mat, which is handmade in our workshops, using the same techniques that have been passed down through generations. And we also manufacture logo mats. Now, our route to market is through online, through websites. So we have makeanentrance.com, coirmats.co.uk, businessmatpeople.co.uk, and I could go on. Um, that is what, what we are today and who we are today. Historically, though, we were a sales and marketing company, and we sales and marketing companies selling entrance mats. So if you just wind back 10 years, go back to 2012, from 2012 through to about 2017, 2018, we just sold online entrance mats, and we used to use subcontractors to actually manufacture the product and send them out on our behalf. And then... 2018 uh, we took the very unusual step for a company in the UK from moving from being an online company to becoming a manufacturer who we are today. Can I ask you know that we were talking earlier as you've talked about some of the, the why you started into manufacturing but for, for listeners you know why why did you take that plunge you know yeah I think we talked about uh, you know your accountant had advised you you do realize it's going to cost you more <laughs> cash you'll have you know, capital tied up um, what, what was the motivation to, to go into manufacturing? That's a very good question. We, um, there were certain challenges within the industry itself. Uh, we were unsure about the subcontractors which we actually currently had. There was an amount of consolidation which meant that uh, our main subcontractor uh, got bought out by another company primarily, primarily for their warehouse, not actually their manufacturing ability, which is fair enough. But we saw at that point that we might have that part of our business at risk. Also, our traditional hand stitch match, which are really close to our hearts, uh, we were facing a situation where we might have to stop selling that because it came, the only manufacturer left in the country was looking to actually retire and step back from that. So those were two main drivers for us why we had, we had a choice. Either we go into manufacturing to manufacture these products ourselves to get control of our supply and specifically for the traditional hair stitch mats, stop a craft that's been around for 100 years from dying out altogether in the UK. Um, either become a manufacturer or 
we change what we sell as a sales and marketing company and we just pivot to selling other things. But because the traditional mats in particular were really close to our heart, we took the decision to, to go into manufacturing and say, right, we're going to take control of our supply chain. We're going to actually do it ourselves. And that was when we pivoted the company across. So it was external factors, but really with the traditional mats, our desire to have something which, as a family, our traditional hand stitch mats have been very important for us over the last 50 or 60 years in various forms. My dad used to run a factory for the Royal School for the Blind in the 1990s, and they used to make these hand stitch mats. Now, a change in policy meant they had to stop doing it, but inherently, because of our family values and it meant a lot to our family, that really was a primary step for us becoming a manufacturer. So, looking back, you mentioned your father of course was involved in manufacture um so and then you talked about how you were a sales and marketing business correct so how what's the link then between your father being involved in the manufacture did he cease to manufacture or did you carry on with still you know he retired from doing that and you go well actually as a lad how do you get involved in the business then he, I mean, it's a fabulous question uh, my dad used to run workshops for the Royal school for the blind um back in the 1980s and 1990s now those workshops, the four workshops he had, had were based down in London. Um, the workshops were part funded by the government, wages for the people, part funded by the government, part funded by the charities, and they used to make traditional mats. That worked for years, and the, it was a great social enterprise because it meant that blind and partially sighted people could have a worth in their life by coming into work, um, and because of that, it was it gave them a self-worth in their life. Now, my dad um, had retired in 1997 at the same time as uh, there was a change of government, and the change of government essentially pulled the funding for those workshops, and it meant that the workshops had to close. It was just a breakdown in the business model itself. Wind forward then to around 2010, 11, 12. Uh, myself and my wife, Sam, were starting an online company. Um, we were starting, um, we entered the flooring industry, uh, we started selling mats and the traditional mats, which was still done by one able-bodied workshop in the UK. That's when we started to sell those traditional mats, so keeping that link with the traditional mats together, using safety techniques that we passed around a few generations. You also touched on that, what, what emphasised the importance of the, the business in supporting people who, you know, the work was important for their well-being, their health and sense of but worth themselves, which is something you, you talked about as I walked around about your approach to your workforce and about giving people opportunities who may not have had the opportunity to work and creating an environment to, for them to work in. How important is that to you? Oh, it's incredibly important. Again, it's in it, our family DNA, really. My dad used to run the workshops for partially sighted and blind people. We now are positively employ people with addiction or particular mental health issues. Uh, there is an issue in the UK, not with people that have greater challenges getting a job, but sustaining a job. If you look at people that have got a job and then the attrition rate of those people for four weeks later, a lot just can't cope with having a job. Now, what we do is we have a specific program where we bring people through and we can support them and keep them going through that four-week period and longer. Um, and it is tough, but we've learned actually how to do it. And the more we grow and expand in the future, 
our expansion as a company, we're becoming scalable as a company, it needs the nuts and bolts of a new workshop, new factory for ourselves. It needs a whole digital side, which we're putting in place as well. But the important thing is we need people. And if we can take economically inactive people out from their environment at home and give them a job and a self-worth, it really does match, again, what our family values were all those years ago. And we know we can actually do it. And that's the people we're looking to take on will be people from uh, those backgrounds, if we can, and sustain them in work. It makes a difference. We talked earlier, I mean, you talked about the hand-stitch mats and, and the quality of those. Just an understanding who your customers are. We, as we went around, you said, you know, these, these, are, these, these mats being pr- processed now are probably online orders over the weekend, to start of that. Correct. But obviously, your hand-stitch, presumably there's some niche markets uh, and some trade customers in there, you know, who go actually, you know, I imagine it's, I don't know whether it is five-star hotels, you'll tell me. Where, where are these, where, where, just an understanding of the different types of markets you then serve. Well, understanding the product itself, these are traditional hand-stitched coir mats made to a size and thickness that, that people need and they've been around for hundreds of years way before pvc back mats or rubber was even invented and oil was around so every single victorian or georgian or edwardian home in the uk used to have this style of mat the national trust and english heritage with stately homes used to have those mats so we now do supply national trust for their stately homes English heritage for their homes, Crown Estates. We also, for people's homes, those people that can find and do recognise and find us online, um, they have them for their Victorian and Georgian Edwardian homes. In fact, we have customers that say to us, we've been looking for just this because we wanted to match our period property. Our trick, of course, is to make sure that we are scalable as a company so the demand we actually have, we can meet with our supply. And that's our challenge for the next 12 months is actually putting ourselves in a scalable position where we can not just do this in the UK, also um, export ourselves and our model into overseas markets like Australia, Holland for Europe and into the United States. And, and we talked as we walked around about that really there is probably limited innovation in the product itself because there are only so many ways of producing a mat <laughs> and developing a mat. I mean, it has changed, as you right, it's talked about the PVC backings over the years. But actually for you, the innovation is actually in the business process and the scale, isn't it? It's about actually creating that scale for supply uh, and efficiency in the supply to service a greater market. It, it, absolutely right. I mean, there is. this is a traditional product. It's handmade using the same skills so we are not going to get mechanization into this product because it loses what it actually is so it is going to be down to process it's going to be down to scalability which we're putting in place and it's going to be out the going out and telling people this is a product this is what used to be in your home all those years ago national heritage know that or uh, national trust understand that already and that's why they buy from us same with heritage but we obviously, we always balance our ability to be able to supply and our scalability along with the demand, which is later demand, which is absolutely out there. And just out of interest, what sort of external support, you know, from, I mean, this, uh, I chair the, the, the business advisor board, the growth hub, and I'm just curious, you know, I think we talked as you walked around, you've received help from the Department of International Trade. You know, this is something you cannot do on your own, is it? You know, you need external, I mean, we talked about, you know, sort of, uh, technology and manufacturing what sort of external support have you had uh, we've had a lot of external support and um, 
we've been lucky that the government have actually recognised um, our export potential with the traditional mats. So they have given us a lot of market research support. They've given us some specialist support as well. And we're working with the Manufacturing Technology Centre, which is based down in Coventry, to make us a lean production, high lean production facility, which we're going to be building over the next 12 months. So a great deal of support for that. Um, and just generally in terms of specialist support, based from Innovate UK Edge, that's really been the key to us unlocking what our potential actually is. Sometimes it's quite hard because when you're at top of an organisation, um, everybody looks to you for the answers and assume you know everything. We're very aware we don't know everything and sometimes you do need those specialists actually to help you out and take you to where really you can get to. And, and we talked as we all around actually business to business peer mentoring. You know, I don't mean formal, you can have formal mentoring, but actually just talking to fellow business people, perhaps in different markets where you've got, strangely enough, some synergy. Sometimes that uh, an experience it helps as well, doesn't it? Experience, and it's a challenge as well. People yeah. are saying, why aren't you doing? Why yes. are you doing? I mean, I, I know obviously we're doing a Streets podcast here, but it will be amiss of me not to say that our accountant at Streets has been instrumental in terms of challenging us to get us to think about things that may be coming up in the future. He's actually said to us three years ago, watch out for this this is going to be a challenge for you lo and behold three years down the line it is a challenge but we're prepared for it because they've said um just before we move on to the federation of small businesses just a bit about the the, the, the being a family business you know uh the, the, there's a lot of talk about the strength of being a family business as the challenges how do you see being a family business it helps you in your marketplace but your business but what also what sort of challenges does it bring to you i think um if you look at how we are as a family business our family ethics are really strong and what it means we treat all our staff as if they're family that's a major strength actually for us in fact one of the challenges is the quicker we actually grow and we are growing very quickly is maintaining that family within and those family ethics within our growth itself so that's a challenge which we're, which we're looking at very very carefully and making sure we keep that mm. But family is very important for us and the ethics it actually gives us is incredibly important. Challenges, sometimes the challenges are knowing that your father actually, even though he is your dad and you don't want to listen to him, sometimes he has got experience in there. And that's the thing I've realised is he does know what he's talking about. <laughs> yes, indeed. And sometimes that's over, you know, Sunday lunch over a glass of wine, isn't it? Yeah, uh, sort of, several glasses. And of I, wine. I think it's also understanding when you, you you talk business or when you don't talk business. And I think there's a balance there. Isn't there? Absolutely a balance, especially because yeah. I work with my wife, so we know yes. very specifically how to draw that line. That's yeah. right. If we may, can we move on to the Federation of Small Businesses? Of and you know, it's it's amazing how many business leaders actually do other things than just you know, it's a full time job running the business. But yeah, you know, you've obviously taken on other roles. How did you get involved in the Federation of Small Businesses? I think, like a lot of people, we got approached by a local representative um, extolling the virtues of of FSB, and that's how we got involved initially. Small business has really been of heart and I'm really very passionate myself about small business. Um, and what FSB gives is, and while I like it and I'm involved so much with it, is it's a, it's a voice, it's a group voice for lobbying for what small business needs in the UK. Individually, we can't stand up for ourselves, but as a group we can, and that's what I like about FSB. 
notwithstanding as being an FSB member, you get a, quite a few benefits out of it as well, which yeah. really does pay for itself. Mm. And, and and you're on the scrutiny body. What What is the role of a scrutiny body? Scrutiny body is my first step into governance, to be fair, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a governance. So it is, best way of putting it, is a critical friend to the directors. Um, so we'll have a quarterly meeting, even more often maybe, um, and we will challenge the directors in terms of what they're actually doing, get them to think about what they're actually doing and making sure that um, decisions that are taken are for the best interests of the FSB members, which 99.9% .9 of the time they are, the decisions are absolutely right. But it's being that critical frame because sometimes you get too close to something and you need somebody just to pull you back and say, is that right? Is that for the best? And that's what we do as a governance body. Yeah. And and in terms of you know the challenges that members are facing at the moment, and you know, so like the, the FSB is very good at uh, I, I think it can't say lobbying government now. I think you have to say influencing. Then we move from lobbying, but you know, sort of raising issues for members. What what sort of current issues that you, you do you find that members are are concerned about? Well, business confidence in general is one of those. I mean, only today small business index has come out. Um, the FSB small business index. And that shows, although confidence among small businesses is improving in the UK from last quarter, it's still negative. So there is a lot of scepticism and worry about, um, about general sales and the strength of the economy itself. So a lot of what businesses want is just a confidence with consumers so they can go out and spend money. It is a confidence issue. And that's really one of the biggest worries, other than, of course, the obvious things like utility bills and yeah. things like that. It's just general confidence. Yeah. And, and I think that, again, it comes back to, and I think in um, t challenging times, that being part of an organisation, that you can just share experiences, even if it, the situation is no better than but you've shared it and feel better about it. FSB you know? is fantastic like that. And the networking, especially in Lincolnshire, that goes on with the Lincolnshire part of FSB, it, just being able to get together. Yeah. with other entrepreneurs, other business leaders, and know you're not alone with the fears you actually have, that networking is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd recommend anybody to join FSB and get involved with that because it's just really good to know you're not alone. I think, well, the, 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 the classic, the loneliness of, uh, of the, the managing director or somebody running a small business, so you do need that sort of that, that, that sort of contact with people, don't we? Indeed, you yeah. just have to support you now. Yeah. That's right. And, 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 and if someone wants to become a member of the FSB, how do they find out about the FSB? Uh, go online. If you type in FSB online, um, it will come up and just go online and put in a register your interest actually on there. And a local representative will um, just come and talk to you about it. There is no high pressure. You just come to talk to you, not only about what FSB does, but there are things that FSB actually supplies you as a member, which will find fully worthwhile um, and will easily pay for your membership fee over and over again. And it would be remiss for me not to give you the chance to actually allow you a plug for the uh, your mats. <laughs> if, if I, you know, I think you mentioned the two different, the, the coir matting and make an entrance, but obviously you've presumably got an online presence for there. How do I find out? I want to do an outrageous plug <laughs> here. The best thing you can do, if you're a, if you're a consumer at home and you need a new doormat, especially from, well, go to makeanentrance.com. All the products are on there. And if you're a business and you need a logo mat, Please, again, go on to makeanentrance.com. We have a business section of there for the logo mats we actually manufacture. And please go on and uh, we will certainly be able to help you out with a very high quality product. Okay. 
Thank you, Stuart. And, and, I, and thank you for sharing the insight into your business today and, and, and the growth of, uh, potential for the business. It was really interesting to see that. Uh, I look forward to visiting again when you've got uh, that investment in place and the scale for the business, as well as you know, the development of your overseas business as well. I think you know, we talked about you know, the Netherlands being a good foothold, um, Australia and the market in the US, there's, there's abundance of opportunity. Uh, yeah, there's market there. You just need to capitalise and real on it, realise it. So, may I wish, uh, thank you, and wish you all and, and the business all the best going forward. Um, thank you also to you for listening. We look forward to catching up with you again in future sessions. <laughs> <laughs>